Let's stand, if you would, please, and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Gospel of John, chapter 11. If you're a first-time guest and visitor at our church this morning, thank you for being here. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that the experience you'll have will be one that will encourage you to come back and worship the Lord again with us. We have a lot of folks on vacation, and I want to encourage you this morning that if you go on vacation this summer, please let us know so we can be in prayer for you. But also, we want to encourage you to be in a church, an independent Baptist church like ours that you can worship at. So let us know if you're in an area. Uh, if you're going to be in an area where we can recommend a church, I'd like to do that. And if you happen not to be in an area where you can do that, we encourage you to just zone in on live stream, and you can watch our services live stream. Next Sunday, we'll say more about this a little bit later. Next Sunday, I have a book that I wrote that I want to get access to. We promised at the beginning of the year, and it didn't come out to just now, but it's a, it's a collection of the God Morning devotions that have been written over the last three or four years here. And I'm really very, very thankful for a number of our folks who helped to do the proofing and editing of that. A very, very helpful book will help you in the morning to jet start your day with your reading of the scriptures. I want to encourage you to get that. Some of you, just, most of you probably subscribed to it already. And I encourage you to get those. They're just helpful. I just wrote, wrote one early this morning that will show up next Saturday or Sunday. And it's, taught, and it's entitled Markdown Merchandise. How many of you like to buy Markdown Merchandise, okay? Uh, this, as you read this devotion, you don't want to be Markdown Merchandise. There's some good stuff there for you there, but it'll just help you. Maybe if you're just trying to get deeper in the Word of God and trying to understand passages, it'll just help you with that. But I encourage you very, very greatly about uh, just getting access to that. We'll say more about that a little bit later today, uh, this, after, uh, this, this morning, about how to access those books. And I, my goal with these books is, is we make hospital visits and people are sick or we're just meeting new people. I want to get that book into many people's hands because it has the Word of God in it. And we just want to be effective. I'm used to giving other people's books out, but it doesn't help get us traction for our church. How many understand what I'm saying? I love Brother Chapel, but I'd rather give my book out than Brother Chapel's. Amen? You know? So I, I do a lot of hospital visits, and so I want to get them into doctors' hands and nurses' hands and pay, people who are just going through trials and give it to their family members, encourage them, and that just opens the door to get the gospel to them. And and uh, so that'll be a wonderful, wonderful thing. So get one of those books if you can. John chapter 11, say amen if you're there. Amen. All right, now I, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We should, but we don't have time for that today. Otherwise, we'll never get out of here for lunch. So I want you to go to verse 33. <clears throat> verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should, should not have died? Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. 
But because of the people which stand by, I said, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loosen him and let him go. Now there's a lot we're going to see here today, but I want you to notice if you would, uh, let's go over here. I want you to go with me to verse... Um, I lost my place here. Bear with me for just a second. Go with me to verse 38. And it says, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. Notice he says this here. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And I want to preach you a message this morning. You should have your notes in front of you, but I want to preach you a message entitled, Lazarus, come out of your grave. Lazarus, come out of your cave. I want you to see this morning some uh, some principles and thoughts today from this passage that will help us as we go through the journey of faith and journey of life. Lazarus, come out of the cave. Father, we thank you today for the beautiful and encouraging and inspiring music we sang and we heard from our choir. Thank you for our choir. Thank you for our orchestra. Thank you for our musicians, Lord, who practice and rehearse so they can be a blessing to the church family. Thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning that, God, many, many hundreds of people are here and assembled to worship the Lord. I thank you for first-time guests and visitors, returning guests and visitors who are with our church today. I pray for our families who are on vacation, traveling, and some who are sick and ill. God, I pray that special grace would be given to them. Father, minister to our hearts this morning. Father, prepare our soul and our heart for the work that you want to do. The Bible, the Bible says that you liken our hearts and our souls unto ground. And I pray this morning that all of our hearts would be fertile ground. And Lord, ground that's plowed over and ready and prepared to receive the seed of the word of God. We pray that you break up the fallow ground of our hearts. We pray this morning that you deliver our soil from becoming hardened or thorny or shallow, whereby it cannot receive the word of God. We pray that you help us to be good hearers of the word. We pray that this passage of scripture will be a transformational moment in time in our lives. We pray for this passage of scripture that will help those who are not saved to come to know Christ as Savior. We pray for those who are suffering and going through some valleys and difficulties and even can identify of being in a cave with a big boulder rolled over it, that God, they can find that there's liberty and power that you can give as, we come, as you issue forth the command to come forth out of the grave. Father, would you meet our needs today? Would you speak to us in a very specific way? Help us, Lord, today to accept everything that's said by faith that we can go forward for Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What comes to your mind when you think of the word cave? What comes to your mind when you think of the word cave? When I hear the word cave, I think of dark mountain passages. I think of a place of darkness. I think of spider webs that I run into. I think about nocturnal animals that like to be in there. I think about bats, and I don't like bats. If you like bats, you're not my friend, amen? I think about bats. I think about nocturnal animals. I wonder what's inside of a dark place like a cave. I think about subterranean passages and 
places there. I think about a subterranean world. I think about a place that for some people is an explorer's discovery zone. Probably one of the most famous caves in the world is the largest cave, which is found in Kentucky, known as Mammoth Caves. It is at the top of the list of caves to explore. Some of you probably have gone to the state of Kentucky and have purposed to visit the Mammoth Caves. It is an astounding place to go to. It is a visitor's haven. It is the largest cave with more than 400 miles to be explored. That's a lot of terrain there. Uh, early guide Stephen Bishop calls Mammoth Cave a grand gloomy and peculiar place with its vast chambers and complex labyrinths that it has. Some 392 miles of passageway have been actually mapped and surveyed there. Now caves, we find caves all throughout the Bible. You cannot read the Bible without realizing that that Middle Eastern terrain was filled with caves. For instance, as we read the Bible, we realize that caves were a place of burial. The very first mention of a cave is in Genesis chapter 23, when Abraham's wife Sarah had passed away, and he looked for a place to bury her. And he went to a place called Machpelah, which the sons of Heth owned. And he asked these Hittites, could he purchase that land and the cave that went with it? Abraham wound up being buried in there. Later on, Jacob would be buried there. And then we read over here in John chapter 11 about this cave there in Bethany, where this man by the the name of Lazarus was buried. Caves were not only places of burial, caves were a place of refuge and a place of hiding. If you were running from the enemy, you'd look for a cave to hide into. If you study the landscape of the Middle East, especially Israel, there are mountainous areas where there's a lot of caves. Explorers and archaeologists have gone there and have found great treasure there. Caves are a place explorers delight. Now notice this morning, we're focusing on a man that was placed in a cave. This cave is famous in the Bible because it records one of the greatest miracles of all the Bible. I love this chapter of Scripture. I cannot get away from it. It has so much doctrine. It has so much life application. It can help you and I who find ourselves sometimes where we are hidden or we find ourselves seeking refuge in a cave. And we're going to see some things this morning about this cave that I pray will be unforgettable. This morning I want to preach to you a message entitled, Lazarus, come out of your cave. Would you notice going back with chapter 11 verse 1, let me give you an overview of what we're seeing. Number one, would you know Notice with me the dilemma. This chapter starts off with the dilemma. We just did a dilemma. We came out of chapter 10 where Jesus introduced himself as the good shepherd and the Jews had turned against him. The hostility is building. The hatred against Christ is much and the Jews wanted to stone him and kill him. We get into chapter 11 and it starts off by saying this. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. This morning, very early today at 5.30, I started getting messages from some church members who are very faithful to our church. Pastor, I'm sick today. I woke up with a cough and a sore throat and a number of other things. I don't think I'll be at church. I got another message. Pastor, I'm sick. I heard from some people earlier this week. Pastor, I'm sick. Notice this morning, Lazarus was sick. Now, this is not a sick where you get a cold or you get something, that an ailment that you can recover in a couple days from. The Bible's usage of the word sick meant something that was very physically languishing. It says Lazarus was sick. He was languishing and declining in health. He was going to the place where he was getting worse and not getting better. How many understand when you get sick with a certain illness, you've got to monitor your health that you don't get worse. And this man was getting worse. He was not getting better. He was getting to the place as he was languishing. His breathing became more shallower. He got to 
place his blood pressure was dropping. He got to the place where he was dehydrated. He was experiencing organ failure. He got to the place where he didn't want food. He didn't want water. He got to the place where he started to lapse into unconsciousness, and he slept more. I mean, all of those signs, which are not very good signs. And his sister saw that he was sick. Notice verse 1. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, the, the, the town of, of Mary and her sister Martha. And the Bible says, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. We see a dilemma. They're not greeting Jesus. They're not, they're not, uh, well, they're not writing to Jesus and sending to him because they, there's something, something uh, delightful is going on. They're writing to Jesus because there's a crisis in their home. He was sick. He was languishing. They said he's never been sick like this. It, it, gives, it gives added meaning to the term, I am deathly sick. You ever use that term, deathly sick? He was literally deathly sick. And they wrote to him. And they said, Jesus, he's sick. We find ourselves in the opening of this chapter of a man, someone that Jesus loved very much, and two sisters that Jesus loved very much, who is deathly sick. He is very ill. May I pause and just say this a moment. It's a bad thing to be physically sick. It's a bad thing to have a long-term illness. It's a bad thing not to recover. It's even worse to get a spiritual sickness, to become spiritually sick and to be languishing and to get, to get worse and not to get better. It's a terrible thing when bitterness sets in or we can't control ourselves and we've got an anger problem and a forgiveness problem and we've got a hidden sin problem. It's a terrible thing when sin takes hold of our life and we become spiritually sick and we're languishing where our spiritual life is getting worse and not getting better. We see a dilemma. Notice secondly, we see a delay they send word to Jesus. They said, Jesus, would you come? Notice if you would, please. We'll go down a little bit more. Verse 5 and 6. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, and saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, you know, we, we, we all understand that uh, people that we have a preference to, and there may be some favoritism in the relationship, that we are looking for help. Okay, everybody knows somebody that you're close to, and if you need special help, you'll go to that person and say, hey, can you help me? And the Bible wanted us to understand that Jesus had a very special love for this family, for Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And so they thought automatically, well, Jesus loves us, and Jesus cares for us, and, and certainly Jesus will be here for us, and he'll come automatically. And so the Bible says they sent unto Jesus, and uh, when they did so, Jesus told his disciples in verse 4, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. No, God's reinforcing. God loved them, and God loved them very much, and Jesus loved them. But we read something very interesting in verse 6. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, notice this, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Jesus delayed. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like delays. Do you like delays? I don't like being delayed. I'll give you an example. Do you, are, do, are you someone who travels in airports? Do you like flight delays? Worst thing to have is a flight delay. You don't want to miss your flight. I cannot count on numerous hands how many times I've been on a plane and almost missed, missed a flight because of a flight delay. I remember I was coming back. My wife and I had flown over to, uh, to Nashville, Tennessee. I was to preach for Brother Mike Norris over in Murfreesboro, and then we, we, we flew out southwest out there, and we got back on southwest, and our connecting point both times was, was in San Diego, and so we come back through San Diego, and it had been a long time since I connected through San Diego coming back, and I was watching it because our flight leaving Nashville was delayed uh, by a good amount of time, and I was hoping we'd get enough uh, wind, wind on the tailwind that we'd make it back, and we did not, and they told us on the, the speaker, the, the pilot told us we landed, here's where your connecting flight is, and you better run. 
Taiwan to get there. And so I looked at my watch, Brother Long. I had 15 minutes to make my flight. Now, thank God my, 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 my other baggage had been checked in, but I had some carry-on. And I had to carry my wife's luggage to make sure we get there. And so as we got there, we made. if you've ever gone through San Diego, you've made a connecting flight. You come off of one flight, but you've got to go back through security again. Now, somebody please help me. I don't know why they do that in San Diego there, but I had to go through security once again. And I said, you've got to be kidding. And I said, and then the first thing came to my mind, the Holy Spirit says, do not argue with them or you'll go to jail. Don't argue with them. And so I didn't want to argue with them at that moment of time. And I'm, and I'm just getting real anxious there. I mean, I went from Pastor Allen to becoming just Allen at that moment. You understand what I'm saying? And I just started getting real anxious at that moment there. And I said, I don't know if I'm going to make this flight. And I told my wife to go. And I thank God for a godly wife because she's calm no matter what. My wife was calm. She said, don't worry. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. It'll be fine. And so I said, you go ahead and run. And, and she's looking at me. She says, I better run because I don't know about you, sir. She said, I'm going to make the plane. I don't know about you, you know. But we made it through. I ran up the stairs, took their luggage. I ran up the stairs. And we got to B boarding. And thank God that the flight we were supposed to catch was also delayed. Now, that was the only time I was thankful for that, you know. We got on our flight, no problem. But, you know, delays can be very, very cause you anxiety. Uh, how many of you have gone to a doctor's office and you're supposed to have, let's say, one 1.30 in the afternoon uh, appointment and you're delayed, okay? That can be aggravating. How many of you have ever been delayed in traffic? That just goes on with being here in the Bay Area, man. And you just can't control that. I was talking to uh, uh, Miss Vivian yesterday. We had a wedding rehearsal with one of our couples, and she was there. She was talking about how, how in, in, uh, they were in Chicago this past week, she and Aaron, and I guess you guys experienced some delays in the traffic there, okay? And that can be a little bit unsettling, especially if you're in another city and you've got to connect your flight and you think you've allowed enough time. I mean, delays can be very aggravating. Look at our past scripture here. Mary, Martha at, 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 uh, prevailed upon Jesus. Please, Jesus, come. They sent to him. Now, that, that word sent is kind of an interesting word if you notice in verse 3. They sent to him. Now, the idea idea there is just like you and I praying. They knew that they needed help, and they sent to Jesus. Hey, it's a good thing when you have a problem, go to God in prayer, amen? Go to the Lord in prayer and say, Jesus, I need your help right now. And so they sent him. Now, they just believed because of this love relationship that, that Jesus had for them, and he'd been in their home, and they felt kind of a sense of favoritism towards him that Jesus would be there right away. But the Bible tells us he delayed two more additional days. Look at verse 6 again. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he he abode two days still. Now, we call this, notice verses 5 and 6. We reference this, and you might want to put this in your Bible if you don't have it there. We reference this as love's delays. Love's delays. Jesus loved them, but Jesus delayed his coming. Let me say something today. God is smarter than us. Amen? God is wiser than us, and God is sovereign, and God is all-knowing. And the economy of God, as God works in your life and mine, sometimes God puts purpose, purpose delays in our life. God doesn't just answer when we want him to answer, and God just doesn't come when we want him to come. God has his timeline. And we have to understand this delay that Jesus put here is, 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 uh, was for one reason, and that's found in verse 4. He said in verse 4, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. We must remember that delays are part of God's will in our life. Delays are the God's way of working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. We must remember that God's delays are according to God's timeline. God sometimes does not just answer us. You know, our impulsive nature wants, God, I want it right now. And then we get upset with God because it didn't happen. Or God, how come God didn't take it away? Or God wasn't there for me. We've all gone through that experience, especially if we're just growing in the faith and we're not very mature in the word of God. And sometimes God purposely puts delays in our life to teach us that God is at work so that he gets the glory. Let me make a few statements about this this morning. Number one, God is never late. God is never late. Number two, God is never wrong. 
Sometimes we think he's wrong. God is never wrong. Number three, God's delays are his method for building our faith. Now, the Bible tells us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many times God puts delays in our life that we may experience his grace or his love at work in our lives. You know, sometimes we want things to happen very quickly. It's like the little kid, they got a watermelon seed, and they planted the seed in their ground, and they're hoping the next morning a water, watermelon be present. It doesn't happen that way, man. It takes time. A lot of watering, a lot of sun, a lot of good soil on that, okay? We must remember God has his way for delaying things. God's delays are his method for teaching us how to wait on God. And a lot of times God makes us wait because we're impatient people and God wants us to learn patience. Now just bear in mind this. God's delays are because God loves us. Say that with me today. God's delays are because God loves us. Say that with me. You guys are all asleep right now. Let's say it together. God's delays are because God loves us. Amen? God's delays are because God loves us. So we see love's delays. Jesus delayed in coming. Now, remember I said earlier, this dilemma, Lazarus is languishing in his sickness. He's getting worse and worse. And these two sisters are watching. His breathing is shallower and shallower. And his blood, and his, his blood pressure rate is dropping and dropping and dropping. He's dangerously at the point of death. And they needed Jesus there right away. And Jesus delayed two days later. Well, we see love's delays. We see love's dilemma. But I remind you this morning, Proverbs, Psalms chapter 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust him. Then we must remember that even though they didn't think of it that way. God's way is perfect. You might be going through trial. You might be going through a difficult time. You might be having a situation at work that's very, just very difficult. You might have a situation at home that's very difficult. You may be going through some difficult situation with your health. Whatever it may be, remind yourself as you're praying that God's way is perfect. We can't rush God. God is not in a hurry. We must remind ourselves we must be careful not to get angry and bitter at his delays. And we must remind ourselves when God does put delays in our life, we must remember God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. And we must remind ourselves, God, when God delays, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't say God has failed you. Listen, we see the dilemma. We see the delay, but we see something interesting because God is working all things for his glory. Notice as we get a little further down, we see a death. You're thinking, Pastor Fong, wait a minute. You just said God is never late. And you're saying, Pastor Fong, you're just saying, God's will is to be made perfect. How does somebody die? How is God glorified in this situation? Well, let's look at what's going on here. We go a little bit further down here in this passage of Scripture. Jesus purposely delayed going there. By the time Jesus gets there, it's four days later. Lazarus has already died, as we read in our scripture earlier. Lazarus has been in the tomb or in this grave or this cave already for four days. And so Jesus tells his disciples, okay, we're going to go now. And they said, wait a minute, Lord, you're going to go back to Judea? He said that you, you just came out of Judea and they wanted to stone you. You want to go back there? And he makes a statement. He says, look, there's work to be done. And we still need to go on. And so he says, Lazarus, our friend, sleepeth. And remember, we saw this in another time, that the word sleep many times is used to, as an as a illustration that for the believer, death is, is like sleeping. It's not really that we're sleeping, if you would. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, listen, when you die in this life, you're alive in Jesus Christ. You leave this life, you've graduated onto heaven. There's no death in heaven. You're alive when you're in heaven. Amen. Heaven's a good thing. Amen. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Listen, we've graduated. We've entered into the presence of God. And so Jesus 
Jesus is trying to help enlighten them and help them understand that Lazarus passing was sleeping. Well, in their simple way of thinking, they're thinking, well, he must be sleeping, and so he's gonna, the Lord's going to take us here to wake them up. And Jesus saw that they just didn't grasp him, so Jesus made a statement. Look at verse 14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now he just dropped the bomb on them. They're, they're kind of startled. They don't know what to say. They said, he just tells them that Lazarus is dead. And he goes on by telling them here in this whole passage that Lazarus' life had stopped. Lazarus is dead. Look at verse 17. Then, from when, then when Jesus came, he found that he'd been laying in the grave four days already. Now the journey for Jesus from, from where he was at to Bethany was only two miles. It wasn't a long walk. But Jesus purposely delayed because there was a bigger picture in all this. But I want you to notice, Lazarus was dead. And with this death, it affected everybody that was there. Remind you this morning, when a death occurs, it affects everybody that knows you, touches your life in some way. Would you notice this morning, there's the certainty of death. The certainty of death. The Bible says in John eleven fourteen, 14, Lazarus is dead. Psalms 90, verse 10, describes our life. The days of our years are three score years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Let me paraphrase that. Here's what the psalmist Moses is saying, because Moses was an old man when he wrote this. Moses said this. He says, you know, the average length of life, the mortality of man is about 70 years of age, okay? Three score means 60 plus 10, 70. He says, if you have enough strength, if by chance you have enough strength and you can live to 80, he says that's a, that's a good thing. But he says this. He says, it is by reason of strength that they be four score years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow. He said, if God gives you the bonus of 10 more years and you can live to 80, there's labor and sorrow. It's harder to get up in the morning. It's harder to get going. Your knees start to get a little bit, it's a little bit harder to bend your knees. I mean, how many understand, getting older, it's a little bit, it gets more challenging. You wake up with more backaches and things of that nature there. And you ever hear yourself saying, man, I must be getting old. I can't see anymore. I can't read anymore, things like that. He says it's labor and sorrow. But he tells us the reality of life, that there's a certainty of death. He says, by reason of this, he says, in Psalms 90.10, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Hey, death is certain. Psalm Hebrews 9.27, and as it is appointed to man once to die, but after this is the judgment. Lazarus was a young man. He was not an old man. He may have been not even his late 20s, maybe at most his early 30s. Most likely he was in his late 20s. Lazarus had experienced the certainty of death. But we see something else here. As we get into this passage of Scripture and to the meat of the passage, there's the certainty of death. But what you notice this morning, the sorrow of death. Notice in verses 20 and 21, we see the sorrow of Martha. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mar Mary sat still in the house. And I want you to understand as, as we get to verse 21, Martha is crying. Martha is sorrowing. I mean, she is just, her, her soul and heart is breaking. And tears are, are just down her face. And she's, her face is tear-stained. And you could tell she'd been crying for a long period of time. And she was just beside herself. And she rushes out to meet the Lord. Martha is sorrowing. Notice verses 32 and 33. Mary is sorrowing. Are you there? 32 and 33. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, singing him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother, and had died. Martha sorrowing. 
Mary's sorry. Notice there are Jews that are sorry. We read in verse 33, the Bible says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit of his trouble. A number of Jews came that were friends to them. They came. Notice verse 19 tells us, Many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. I mean, this was an unexpected death. This was an unplanned for death. This was an unanticipated death. You wouldn't expect somebody in their late 20s to pass so quickly. They didn't expect that a fever would morph into unconsciousness, and unconsciousness would lead to his death. They never fathomed that where he's saying, I, didn't, I don't feel very well, and I'm going to bed. They didn't imagine that his blood pressure would drop to where he would die. They did not imagine that his good, strong breathing would become shallow, and he'd stop. They didn't fathom that their all brain activity and heart activity would stop. They did not fathom that. They just saw when it happened, that when they, he breathed his last breath, and he left this life, they said, oh, he's passed away, and they tried to revive him. They shook him, and they said, please wake up, Lazarus. Please wake up last but he was gone and they were sorry and they were thinking oh we had such good times together and they're thinking oh he left so soon and there was so much to live and he had so much life in him he's gone there was the sorrow of death the jews were sorrowing and martha was sorry mary was sorry but i want to see even something greater than that notice jesus was sorrowing look at verse 33 he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Look at verse 35. Jesus wept. Verse 38, that Jesus therefore again groaning in himself. I mean, I say to you this morning, Jesus knows all about your sorrows. Jesus was weeping at the gravesite of his best friend, Lazarus. Jesus understood that. Many times someone will take verse 35, and I've heard them say this over the years. I've been a Christian. They'll say, you know, the shortest verse in the English Bible is the phrase in John eleven thirty-five, and Jesus wept, and they'll make light of it. Let me tell you something. Don't make light of that verse. That is a very important verse to understand. He sympathizes where you and I are at. He's our succorer in times of trouble. Never make light of the scripture of something Jesus wept. Do you understand? He was touched with the feeling of their infirmities. And he's touched with the feeling of your infirmity. When you're hurt, Jesus is hurt. When you're grieving, Jesus is grieving. When you have sorrow, may I remind you this morning that Jesus knows all about your sorrows. Does Jesus care? Yes, Jesus cares. Isaiah 53.3 tell, 53, tells us Jesus is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus weeps when we have sorrow. But I remind you this morning, Jesus weeps when we have sin. He's grieved. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. I remind you, if the Holy Spirit is grieved, God the Father is grieved. And our Lord Jesus Christ is grieved with us. My children growing up, and they sometimes would do wrong. My wife and I wanted to correct them, and correct them rightly. And we'd always would say something like this to them. I said, now, did you do wrong? And they would develop a contrite heart over time. They'd say, yes, we did wrong. And I said, now, who did you hurt in this? And they'll say something like this. Well, Daddy, we know we hurt you and we hurt Mom. I said, did you hurt anybody else? And they would think for just a minute. And they thought about the Sunday school lessons, Bible reading time at home. And they'd say, yes, Daddy. And they'd start crying. They'd say, we know that we hurt God also. I remind you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, when we sin, we carry bitterness in our heart. We hurt more than just a person that's next to us. We've heard God also there. And Jesus was weeping. Jesus was sorrowing over the sorrow of the death of Lazarus there. Did Christ or sinners weep? And shall our cheeks be dry? Let floods of penitential grief burst forth from every eye. The Son of God in tears 
angels with wonder see. Be thou astonished, O my soul, he shed those tears for thee. He wept that we might weep, each sin demands a tear. In heaven alone no sin is found, and there's no weeping there. Jesus wept when they wept. Oh, listen this morning, there's a certainty of death. There's a sorrow of death. But you notice something else that's amazing? Notice that we see a skepticism in this death. Now, when, when we're traumatized, a lot of things go through our mind. A lot of good things, a lot of confusing things. I want you to notice three verses this morning that in this, in this chapter that express some skepticism. Notice verse 21, please. Then, never now, Martha, just run to Jesus. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, and would you circle these words, if thou hadst been here. If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Go with me down to verse 32. And when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, circle that again. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And then notice verse 37. And some of them said, these are the Jews, could not this man, circle that phrase, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Did you notice the words, if, only, and could not? All the mighty works Jesus had done leading up to this. All the mighty works he had done. The transformation of the loaves and fishes to feed the multitudes. The calming of the Galilean sea in the midst of a tor torrentious storm. The, the turning and transformation of water into wine. The healing of lepers and giving them healed bodies. The opening the eyes of blind men. The opening the ears of the deaf. All of the things that Jesus had done that's recorded in the gospel, all of that had been forgotten in that moment of time. Mary and Martha and the Jews, yes, they believed something about Jesus, but their belief was, was somewhat, if you would, had hit a ceiling because they believed that Jesus was the Lord of the living, but they could not get their mind around the fact that he was also Lord of the dead. They could believe that Jesus could heal of sickness, but they didn't grant, it didn't grip them in their mind that Jesus could raise again from the dead. Now, Jesus, in chapter 5, had spoken about resurrection. All the Jews understood resurrection. Resurrection was a doctrine that we find in the Old Testament. You read over there in the book of Daniel, and Daniel says something much about the resurrection of the saved and the unsaved in Daniel chapter 12. We read over there in, in Psalm chapter 16, and he talks about resurrection. I mean, resurrection is all over the Bible. Isaiah 53, resurrection is there. They understood all about that. They understood there'd be a future resurrection, but they couldn't get their mind wrapped around the fact that their brother could be resurrected, and their brother could be raised. They heard Jesus talk about his own resurrection, but they couldn't see that. All they were gripped with was because of their sorrow was that Jesus' power was limited and Jesus could not raise them up. And so they said this, Lord, if only you'd been here, Lord, this would not have happened. If only you'd been here. It's as if they were blaming Jesus that Lazarus had died. They said, if thou hadst been here, can I tell you, you and I say the same thing. But I want to give you some good news. Jesus was there. Jesus was there. And don't say, God, you weren't here when I needed you there. No, God was there. You just were not looking for God at that moment. Be careful when you're in the valley of sorrow and you start doubting the power of God. 
Be careful losing faith when the pain of a loss comes your way. Be careful when something precious to you winds up in a cave and a boulder is blocking the entrance. We see a dilemma. We see a delay. We see a death. But here's the good part. I want you to see the demonstration. We work our way there and there's sorrow. And there's tears. And there's wailing. And these people standing there doubting what Jesus could do. And notice in verses 38 to 44, we see a major Bible principle. Please put this down in your notes and write this in your Bible. Many times when we are at the lowest point of our lives, we feel we're in a very dark place. And our hopes feel buried under an avalanche. Or we feel that we are in a cave where a boulder is blocking our entrance. We're at the lowest point of life. It is during those moments and seasons of weakness, of lowness, of defeat, of darkness. Be ready for God to work in your life. Be ready for God to rise. Be ready for God to rise and the enemies be scattered. Be ready for God to do something great. It's during those low seasons and those broken seasons and those seasons where we don't have the power to roll away the stone and we feel like we're in the darkness of a cave and we don't know what the future holds. May I remind you, you may not know what the future holds, but thank God he holds the future, amen? So what you notice, the demonstration this morning in itself, because in this chapter, we're going to see the power of God over death. We're going to see the power of Jesus Christ over death. The first thing you notice is we see the cave in verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone was laid upon him. We see a cave. Now, a cave is a hole in the mountain. A cave is a burial place. A cave was associated with death. A cave is always a place of darkness. No natural life gets past that entry point. A cave is a place where there's despair. A cave is a place where we can feel without hope. Consider the words of David in Psalms 142. Psalms 142 was written by David when he was in a cave that's very famous in the Old Testament. It's called the Cave of Adullam. David was running from Saul. He was running from those who hated him. David was at the end of his life. He was at the place where he'd given up. He was in total despair. As we read Psalms 142, 42, which you notice in your notes, verses 1 to 4. He said this, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord that I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. And the way wherein I walk, have they, uh, have I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me? I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Hey, watch this this morning. As we read Psalm 142, you to read that every now and then. We find the writing there, the letter of a man who was in despair, a man who was in a cave. He, what he says there, some of us can identify with right now. Look at his praying. His praying was a desperate prayer. He's praying in desperation. He's saying, I poured out my soul to him. He said, I cried to the Lord. David is weeping. David is crying. He said, with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. He's saying, I've asked other people to pray, but man, I've got to pray right now. I'm crying in my heart. I'm breaking inside. Then notice verse 3. 
Verse 2, actually, he describes it as his complaint. He's complaining to God that he's in trouble. He says, look at all my trouble. He laid out before God all his trouble. He says, Lord, I'm in trouble. They're going to kill me. Lord, they're going to take my life. Notice verse 3. He said, my spirit was overwhelmed. Hey, when we're in a cave situation, we feel just like David. We feel overwhelmed by the problem. We feel overwhelmed by the pressure. We feel overwhelmed by what we think the consequences will be. We get overwhelmed that we might lose our job. We get overwhelmed that we've got to tell the truth. We get overwhelmed that we better be honest. We get overwhelmed that the enemy might prevail. We get overwhelmed that we might take a lot drop in income. We get overwhelmed that our company may move our jobs overseas or to another country because the labor costs are cheaper and that we won't have work. We get overwhelmed that our real estate values have dropped and the stock market is plummeting. And we get overwhelmed that our spouse is sick or our child is sick. We get overwhelmed with that. And we're at this place. We feel like we're in a cave all trapped inside. Then he says something very interesting. He went in that cave for hiding. He said, refuge failed me. And he got to the place where this is how he described himself. This is the ultimate state of languishing. No man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. Nobody cares I'm in this hole. Nobody cares I'm in this cave. Nobody cares I'm in this darkness. Nobody cares that this boulder's blocking my way. Nobody cares we see the cave that David, that, that Lazarus is in. Are you in a cave? Are you in a cave with a large boulder blocking you from exiting? Are you buried in a rocky cave? You're in a dark place in your life. We see a cave, but notice secondly, but you see the capability. To Mary and Martha, those Jews, that cave and that boulder was greater than Jesus. I have some good news for you. No cave and no boulder is greater than Jesus. I like the words of Job in Job 42.2. I know that my God can do everything. Amen. I know that my God can do everything. And notice in verse, verse, verses 39 to 44, we see God's power and the power of Christ at work in circumstances that looked impossible. Notice in verses 41 to 42, we see the capability of prayer. Jesus reminds Martha and Mary in verse 40. In verse 40 he said, said I not unto thee? that if thou wouldest believe, that thou shouldest see the glory of God. And then the Bible says in verse 41 that they rolled the stone away. And I'll say more about that in a moment. They rolled the stone away from the place where the dead was laid. Notice what you, would you notice the latter part of verse 41 going to verse 42? And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou sent me. Now, I want to tell you some things here. There's the the capability of prayer. If you're not praying, you have not learned to harness and take advantage of the power of God in your life. Oh, Christian, pray. Oh, Christian, reach out to God. Oh, learn to pray and send unto him. Jesus prayed. He taught them a valuable lesson. He could have just performed that miracle, but no, he was teaching us in this passage of Scripture the importance of prayer in our life. Listen, without prayer, we are failures. All our failures are prayer failures, as John R. Rice would say. And so notice in this prayer, the first thing we see Jesus saying, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Thank God that you have a cave experience. And thank God that you're in some darkness. And thank God that he's put you in that place because that's an opportunity, not an 
obstacle. It's an opportunity for the power of God to work. He said, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. He thanked God. He knew that God hears him. Let me tell you, there's never a prayer that God doesn't hear. That doesn't mean God answers every prayer, but there's never a prayer that he doesn't hear. And he said, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And then in verse 42, I knew that thou hearest me always. I want to give you comfort, Christian friend. If you're praying for a loved one to get saved, keep on praying. If you're praying for, if you're praying for God to do something in your life that you need help in, keep on praying. Don't give up praying. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And everything prayer. Give everything to God in prayer. The Bible says the factual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he was just saying, I know that thou hearest me always. Listen, as a child of God, one of the greatest privileges we have is being able to go to our Heavenly Father and knowing as we enter his presence, he hears every prayer you have. And let me tell you something. Maybe you don't have much of a prayer life right now, but there'll be a coming a time in your life. You live long enough. There's going to be a time in your life, you're going to have an obstacle, you're going to have a trial, you're going to have a cave experience, and you're going to have to pray to God. It'll come. And we see Jesus praying or giving us an example how to pray. He prayed that God would be glorified. He prayed that sinners would be saved. Notice verse 42, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they might believe that thou sent me. Hey, listen, if you want to see answers to prayer, you want to see God do some great things, thank God for the trial he's given you. Thank God for the cave experience. Thank God for the boulder that's there. Thank God that he's heard your prayer. And pray for people that are lost to see this, that, that they'll get saved saved and tell God, listen, God, I want you to get all the glory from this experience there. We see the capability of power, but notice the capability of prayer, but notice the capability of God's power. Notice in verse 43 and verse 44, Jesus, there are two things that happen. In verse 43, Jesus cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible tells in verse 44, and he that was dead came forth. That may not sound anything to you as you read it today, but I want you to understand, everybody's standing there. He's been dead on that grave for four days. I mean, there's no more breathing. There's been no more heartbeat. There's been no, there's no blood pressure. There's no way, nothing happened in his brain. I mean, he was, that body was dead, and that body was cold, and that body started to corrupt, and mortification came. In fact, Martha and the Jews knew well enough at that time. They said, Lord, Jesus said, roll away the stone. They knew that, that, that uh, corruption sets in right around the third or fourth day there. And if you've ever seen a dead animal on the road over a period of time, rigor mortis said, in about the second or third day and corruption is starting to happen. They said, Lord, he stinks right now. Lord, he's corrupting. He's decaying. I mean, everything's breaking down in his body. I mean, he's stinking really bad. You're going to roll away the storm? They are just imagine he was dead. But listen, when something is dead and when something seems like it's immovable and something feels like it can't happen, that's, that's an opportunity for God to go to work in your life and mine. And God went to work in this man's life and in that sister's life. And he issued just a word. Notice what Jesus did. He didn't touch a stone. He didn't walk in the tomb. He didn't touch the body. He didn't do any of that. He just did what he always does good. He spoke the word. Can I remind you how powerful God's word is in your life and mine? Lazarus, come forth. Listen, it was by the word of God, he spoke the world and creation into existence. Hebrews 11:3. by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. The Bible says in Psalms 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the worlds created. It was by his word we'll see in Revelation 19 that the foes in later time will be defeated at the second coming of Christ. His is by the power of the word of God. You can be born again and heaven can be your home today. We see the Cape Billy power. He just spoke the word. Powerful words. We see the cave and we see the capability. Would you notice the commands? Jesus spoke a word. And I want you just to try to 
think through with me for a moment what was going on in there. There's this movement inside that tomb, and they're thinking, wait, what's going on inside there? There's this moving around and maybe even a guttural voice of some kind for Lazarus. And listen, Lazarus comes out of there, but with all that, you'll notice in the sequence of events, there is a series of commands that Jesus had to give. His cave experience came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus demonstrated he had power over that cave experience. May I remind you this morning, Jesus Christ has power over your cave experience as well there too. But there are commands that are associated with it. He wants us to understand. Would you notice these commands? There's three of them. The first one is in verse 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. That is not a suggestion. That was a command by the Son of God. He said, take ye away the stone. Now watch what's happening here. When you're going through a cave experience, you're shut in. When you're going through a cave experience, you lost your power. When you have a cave experience, you're on the inside looking out. You want to get out. But listen, when you have a cave experience, people on the outside that want to come help you can't get in because they've been shut out by the boulder. And anything you want to do to prove that you want to come out, that boulder's in the way. Listen, you've got to roll the stone of oppositions away. You've got to roll the stone of doubt away. You've got to roll the stone of unforgiveness away. You've got to roll the stone of insecurity away. You've got to roll the stone of isolation away. Hey, too many of us, we get into problems and difficulties and we withdraw ourselves from the problem and we isolate ourselves because we say, oh, woe is me. And instead of coming out of the cave, we go further and further into the recesses of the cave. Hey, listen, Jesus doesn't want any of us to stay in that cave experience in the darkness. He wants to come out once again. And listen, before people can help you, you've got to roll the stone away. And he told those people on the outside, it's not his responsibility, it's your responsibility. Roll the stone away. Hey, church, that's what we're here for. We're here to help those who are suffering and those who are in a cave experience. When God says move the stone away, it takes labor and effort for a number to roll that old stone away. He issued the command. Take you away the stone. And I wonder this morning, how many of us realize there's some stones blocking someone else's life? They need our help to roll that stone away. Notice the second command. Lazarus, come forth in verse 43. I like what some commentators have said. If Jesus said, had just said, come forth, all the dead bodies would have came out. Amen? No, he called him by name. He's there to minister to one person. By the way, there's, there's millions of trials going on in the world right now, but he knows who you are. Amen. Lazarus, come forth. And as Jesus said, he was sleeping. He awoke out of that sleep. He knows your name. He knows your name in an intimate way. He knows your, way, your name in a familiar way. Told him to get out of there. And maybe this morning Jesus is calling out to you and to me. Alan, come forth. Aaron, come forth. David, come forth. Whoever it may be, he's calling your name out. Come forth. Get out of that cave. Get out of the dark. The stones rolled away. You've been rotting in there too long. Come forth. You've been withdrawn too long. Come forth. You've been isolated too long. Come forth. You've been bitter and critical too long. Come forth. You've been active and dormant too long. Come forth. It's been a long time since you've been serving God and active for the Lord. Get out of that cave. He said, He said, come forth out of that grave. Amen. Then notice the third command. Verse 44. He that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, 
loosen him and let him go. You know, I imagine him, I imagine him just coming out like this. He's all wrapped up and he's got this napkin on his face. And, and I kind of imagine, I wonder if he's just walking like this. You know? I mean, he's bound hand and foot. He's restricted in his movement. You know what God wants you and me to do? Thank God the stones rolled away. Thank God we heard his voice, we obeyed and we're coming forth. But listen, you got to get rid of those old grave clothes, amen? you got to get rid of those old bandages that are holding you back, that are tying you down, that are keeping you from living for God. Hey, listen, maybe some of us have been hurt by the words of other people, critical words and hurtful words, and we feel like we're bound up with those grave clothes. It's time to loosen up those grave clothes and come out of them, amen? Let that napkin off your face and get those grave clothes from, that are restricting your movement and get out and serve God. He said, loosen them, let them forth. Be free, be delivered. Get out of those old grave clothes. Get out of those declaimed clothing and live for God. Hey, listen, this morning we see the demonstration of the power of God. We see this cave. We see a command. We see God working in his capability, but go to chapter 12, and notice we see a closeness, because the power of Christ is not finished working. Listen, God wants you to come out of the clay cave, and God wants you to be free, and God wants you to have freedom, and God wants you to have victory, and God wants you to experience life again and get a second chance in your life and another opportunity to prove yourself. But it doesn't end there, because as we work through this, the demonstration of God's power is seen in our closeness to him. And what happened to Lazarus then? Well, notice very quickly as we're almost done. In chapter 12, verse 2, what happened to Lazarus? Well, we fast forward here, and I have to start with verse 1. And then Jesus, chapter 12, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now, Jesus was there. Lazarus raised from the dead. Then he left. A few days later, Jesus came back before the Passover. And Simon the leper, who was once a leper, was also set free. He made a great banquet and supper and invited many people there. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were there. Notice verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But notice where Lazarus is at. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Would you notice this? Lazarus had closeness of fellowship when he came out of the cave. You know, a lot of times when we get into the cave, you know what's happened? We've isolated ourselves from everyone. And we've put this imaginary boulder in front of the entrance. We're not close to our spouse. We're not close to our children. We're not close to our pastor. We're not close to our brothers. We're not close to our sisters. We're not close to our fathers. We're not close to our mothers. We've lost that closeness. But when you come out of that cave, and you get out of those old grave clothes, we want to be just like Lazarus. We want to have a closeness with Jesus. Amen? He sat at the table, and that was a wonderful thing, to sit at the table. That represented fellowship. He had close fellowship. You know what Lazarus was thinking in his heart? He said, you know what? I've got a second chance at this, my fellowship with Jesus. I'm not going to waste this opportunity. I'm not going to blow it. I'm going to be close to the Lord. And then secondly, would you notice something else? Lazarus not only had close fellowship, but he had copious fruitfulness. Now, leading up to chapter 11, Lazarus is just a good old boy. Part of a good family, reputable family. But you know, if, you, if you read through the Gospels, up until you get to John chapter 11, we have no mention of anything Lazarus did for Jesus. We don't read him using his influence. We don't read anything about him having an impact. But remarkably, we get to chapter 12, notice verses 10 and 11. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because, verse 11, that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Hey, he made his life count, amen? 
He came out of the cave, and a lot of lives were touched, and a lot of people were influenced. Listen, don't think that cave experience is a bad thing. Listen, get out of that cave, get out of those grave clothes, and realize God's going to use that so you can have a blasting and, and positive and Christ-honoring influence and impact on many, many lives for the glory of God. And so this morning we see a dilemma. He was sick. He was languishing. We see a delay. Jesus delayed purposely in getting there. We see a death. Lazarus died. There was sorrow at his death. There was skepticism at his death. We see a demonstration. Christ came and Christ went to work. At their darkest moment, Jesus appeared and was there. We see the cave that he was in and what that represented to all those Jews that were there. It represented darkness and isolation and withdrawal and all of those things and powerlessness. And we see the capability of Christ. We see Christ working that he proved at that moment of time that not only did he have the power of life, he had power over death. And there he was giving them a precursor to something I'm going to say in a moment there. But he's giving them a precursor to something even greater that would happen. And we see his demonstration through his capability and then we see Jesus not only doing that we see a closeness and fellowship we see Jesus giving commands and then closeness between Lazarus and Jesus that they hadn't before as we close this morning I want you to notice verses 25 and 26 and we're done we see this dilemma we see this delay we see this death we but I want you to notice as we see all that in this demonstration notice this declaration What a powerful demonstration of God's power. But in this, we have to go back to verses 25 and 26 to realize there is a declaration Jesus makes here. You see, this cave was an important cave, but I want to draw your attention to another cave. I want to draw your attention to a cave that this was the precursor to. I want to draw your attention to a cave that Jesus' own body was laid into because not many days after this miracle, this is the last of the great miracles that Jesus performed before his crucifixion. The time had come. Jesus said, my hour has come. What he meant by that was the time when the Jews would take him and in conspiracy with the Romans, they would take the precious, wonderful, sinless son of God and they would take him and Jesus would be beaten and Jesus ultimately be led to the cross and there at the cross, Jesus would be crucified for you and me sinners who should be crucified for our own sins. And Jesus went to the cross for the sins of every believer. And there on that cross, and through his beating and through his punishment, Jesus was beaten. His blood was shed. And there on that cross, languishing on that cross, his, death, his life ebbing away from him, the Son of God was dying and shedding his blood for the sins of all of all of creation and of all, of all of man. And then we read later on, Jesus uttered his final words. He said, it is finished. And when he did so, the sin debt for every sinner had been paid in full by the Son of God. Listen, they took his body off the cross, as we'll see in a future message. We'll see two men, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, secret disciples who came out of hiding. They claimed the body of Jesus. They anointed it. And Joseph said, well, we've got nowhere, they've got nowhere to put this body. And if they treat him like other criminals, they'll throw his body down and the garbage pit outside the walls of Jerusalem, this old garbage pit called the Valley of Gehenna, which burned perpetually, and they threw the bodies of criminals down there, and they threw their refuse and their garbage down there. They said, they're not going to treat our Jesus like that. And they took his body and claimed his body. And Joseph said, well, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a prepaid burial package I bought, amen. I have a prepaid burial package. And so he said, I've got this tomb. It's a new tomb that's cut out of a rock out over here, outside of the Calvary. And I'm going to just, well, I'll give that tomb to Jesus. And they could put 
put his body there. And they put his body there. They laid it on a slab. And they did like they did with every burial. They rolled a stone over it. But the Jews said, yeah, you're going to roll a stone over it, but we're going to seal it so nobody can go inside. And there that body was there. It was cold as any dead body. And three days had passed, and his disciples had given up hope, and they thought Jesus was dead, and they thought he never would come again. And the Jews gave up hope, and the Jews that were his enemies had were victorious. They were, were dancing and partying and drinking and doing all kinds of thinking. We've killed the Son of God. And the demons of hell rejoicing. But I remind you on that third day, something happened before the sun came up. I'm going to remind you on that third day, before the sun came up, listen, light came in those eyes, and breath came in those lungs, and power surged in that body. And listen, that old dead body came up, and Jesus arose from the dead, and the stone was rolled away, and he that was dead was risen from the grave. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his will. I remind you today, great was the resurrection of Lazarus, but even greater was the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus proved he had power over sin. He proved he had power over death. And listen, he proved he had power over Satan. Glory to God, he rose again. He's alive. Listen, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He has power over all things. I remind you today, we don't serve a dead Savior. We have a risen Savior today through Jesus Christ. And that old, that old Lazarus was laying in that tomb. Those old Jews looked at it right there, and they thought, oh, that's great. But listen, there was no miracle greater than the fact that the power of God in Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. No wonder the apostle Paul would preach later on. Why think he did a thing incredible that God should raise the dead? I'm going to tell you this morning, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your faith and my faith is in vain. And we might as well pack up our bags and forget it. Listen, you go to every religion around the world, and they may have something good about it, being virtuous, but the only religion that has a risen Savior that overcame death by his own power and is still alive and reigns in heaven on his throne is Jesus Christ himself, my friend. He's alive. He's alive. He's risen. In verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He's saying, you trust in me, you put your faith in me for your salvation. Linda Marisigan, Linda Rosario, Daniel Tang, in a place in their life, call on Jesus Christ to be their savior. They did what Romans 10, 9 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You might be dead, but you're really alive. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you die without your sins forgiven, you die without Jesus your Savior. You may be born once, but you're going to die twice. You'll have a physical death and spiritual separation from God. That's two deaths. But when you're born twice, you have a physical birth. And praise God, more important than that is the spiritual birth. You're born again. You're born twice. You only die once. He that believeth on me, though he dead, yet shall he live. Then verse 26, and whosoever liveth, and believeth in me shall never die. And we close with the same question Jesus asked. Believest thou this? Would you believe today? 
Would you believe that Jesus Christ is God's sinless son? Would you believe today that Jesus is God? Would you believe today that he died for your sins and that he rose again from the dead? Would you believe today that he offers you the gift of eternal life? Would you believe today that you can be saved and be part of the family of God? Would you believe today that heaven could be your home and your name written in God's book of life? Hey, would you believe today? If you believe today, hey, listen, you can be saved and be, make sure that heaven's your home today. Would you believe? Would you believe? Whosoever liveth and believeth. You see, this morning, your, your cave experience that every one of us goes to is that cave experience of knowing that if we die without our sins forgiven, without having placed our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, that stone, that boulder is our doom. It represents our doom. It represents our blockage or inability to have access to God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God rolls away that boulder, that stone. And listen, by faith, you have newness of life in Jesus Christ today. And so today, Christian friend, those of you who are saved, you may have a boulder blocking you from going forward. Your faith has been stunned. It's time to roll that boulder away. Trying to get out of that darkness and the isolation, withdrawal, and insecurities and trust Christ. And this morning, you're not saved. Today's the day to get saved. Amen? Amen. It's the day to trust Christ and believe on him to save you from your sins. Let's bow our heads in prayer.